This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in the Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum. Drives down, and throws it down! Wow! Rebound, Gordon Hayward for two! Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live, and I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you? Pretty good, Tom. Enjoying that 5 p.m. tip-off? It's real nice. So we are going to get into a few things today. Uh, the Celtics just beat the Grizzlies. Yet another good scoring night. The Celtics put up 122 points. Really nice night for Jason Tatum. Super efficient. The Celtics blew it open in the first half. Went on a 22-4 to run that really stretched the game open. And then in the second half, you know, Memphis kind of tried to get back into the game. They got it to 10. I think they got it to 8 at one point. But the Celtics just always kind of had a little bit too much in the tank to allow a full comeback. Nicole, we'll just go back and forth on some takeaways here. What, what was the first thing that stood out to you? Well, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Kemba Walker looks completely fine. And I think we've sort of realized that a few games in, but now his minutes restriction, I mean, it's going to be off next time we see him. I doubt Kemba will play much, if anything, against the Wizards. So really no concerns there. The other thing that's stood out to me about his health is like, he's always so willing to take a charge. I, he tried one today. I can't remember who was driving down the lane and Kemba tried to take a charge on him. And I think he took a knee to the chest and then his head bounced off Jonas Valanciunas's leg. And it was just like, I don't know, that might just be instinctual, but it does feel like that's a decent sign for his knee too. If he's just like, yeah, let me, let me step in here. I feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely doesn't seem to be shying away from any sort of contact. Other takeaways, I was sort of laughing to myself. This was the most minutes we've seen from Grant Williams since they arrived in the bubble. He logged 19 minutes. But I was just laughing to myself that I have confidently stated that I thought he would be, like, the guy that would get rotation minutes. 
after watching that performance. Again, like, I'm not going to harp on that performance. It was just one game against the Grizzlies. We haven't seen much of him at all. Like, I think this was the first time he even had double-digit minutes in the bubble. So it's a small sample size, but he did not look playoff ready. I mean, for him, the focus has to be that three-point shot because he is just left wide open and can't knock them down. He did make one. He made his second one. He did airball the first one. I think he knows that. Grant's a really smart player. And then in addition to that, Ennis Cantor did take video of Grant in the bubble. I think it was like 11 p.m. Like they went back to the gym after practice. And Grant literally was just shooting from corner to corner. Shot a three, got the ball, ran to the other side of the court, shot a three, got the ball just running back and forth. So working on both his conditioning and his three because he's just not ready. And that's okay. I mean, he, I think, already exceeded expectations through the regular season in terms of what they were hoping to get out of him. He's just a rookie, but it was a little ambitious for me, for us, to say that he was uh, ready for the postseason. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's something that we are learning is that, like, the rookies aren't ready yet. And, And like you said, I think it's really important to say that's okay. Like, not being ready for your first NBA postseason in a season where you didn't play much and, like, you got all these stars ahead of you, it's definitely not, like, insulting. Like, like we're not, like, ripping on Grant. The first season in the league, and they're on the Boston Celtics who are trying to win a championship. Like, that's tough. It's interesting that you say he exceeded expectations because at first I was like, well, no. I mean, I think they saw him as, like, a real rotation player, like maybe somebody who could pitch in off the bench. But I actually think you're exactly right, in part because his defense, when they first got him, he couldn't do what they – hoped that he would be able to do and by the end of the season they were saying like he's capable of it you know obviously that's switching against smaller guys that's being that really strong body against against bigger players and trying to make things difficult maybe trying to become kind of like a pj tucker type defender um where you're just like wide and strong and kind of tough to go through i think that they expected all of that from him what i don't think is that they expected him to be able to do all of those things at times during his rookie season so yeah actually i i I agree with all of that And, and i agree with you too that it's just like like we were premature on that and it's tough for me now and I maybe we'll overreact after the Washington game and just be like, Oh my goodness, everybody's going to play. But like, it's tough for me now to see how those rookies get anything much at all in the playoffs. Like I'm sure they'll get maybe some matchup stuff here and there. I think we've got a pretty clear idea of what the rotation is going to look like. And I think it's going to be, you know, smart Wanamaker, maybe some Shemi and then a mix of Rob and Ennis. I just don't see anything else. Yeah, I agree. So I think the biggest development is just Rob's rise. He played 14 minutes tonight, 10 points, four of six shooting. The big thing for me, too, is that he went two of three from the free throw line. And prior to that, he hadn't missed from the free throw line in the bubble. And Rob, I looked at his free throw percentage from the first two seasons. His rookie year, he was a 60% free throw shooter. And up until the hiatus, he was a 64% free throw shooter. So I feel like that's a pretty good example of sort of his development there. Just like his shot looks clean, like he's knocking them down with ease. That was sort of unexpected. I mean, it's a small sample size. I think he's eight of nine from the line. But even to be eight of nine, like that's pretty impressive in my opinion. They look good. I mean, you know, they look smooth. You know, it's not like he's hitting the rim a bunch of times. Like, you know, his his free throws look good, I think. I do think it's interesting to take a look at Rob versus Ennis after this game because I thought Ennis played really well. In the second half, the Grizzlies were making these little pushes and they never felt like they were actually going to get back into the game. In the fourth quarter, when they were making one of those small pushes, Ennis was actually, like, quite important, I thought, on the glass, on the offensive glass, just getting little putbacks, scoring down low. I think that there's a good case to be made that Rob should supplant Ennis in the rotation. Like, 
Rob has looked really good on both ends. But Ennis does show sometimes why he can be, like, valuable in these rotations. Like, he is large. He can guard post-ups sometimes against certain players. Most importantly, he can get on the offensive glass. He can get those putbacks. I, I, I think that both Rob and Ennis have shown some things during the bubble that show why they could both help the Celtics in the playoffs. It looks like the Celtics are going to play the Sixers in the first round unless the Sixers win their final two games and the Pacers lose their final two games. It's going to be Celtics-Sixers, which means they're going to be facing Joel Embiid. And Ennis seems to be the best matchup just in terms of size. Like you mentioned, he's big, he's strong, and he's shown in regular season games that he has had not luck in containing Joel Embiid, but he hasn't just gotten like roasted. Knowing Brad, he's considering all options, but I think he's still trying to figure out exactly what the best rotation is there. We should probably touch on the fact Jason Tatum, that he went 10 for 13 with 29 points. He seems to be back. Like, he's just looked like the same guy that was tearing up the league in February and March. We talk about his potential for, like, becoming, like, an all-NBA, like, first team or, like, an MVP candidate, whatever. I think games like this are, like, a reminder that he can do a lot of the stuff that you need from a player like that feels like a little bit of an overreaction but I have a reason for it the Grizzlies sent a bunch of help at him and he either beat the help or he like passed out of it really well or he just attracted so much attention that it opened everything up for everybody else and like when you think about the other superstars in the league like the real true superstars that's exactly what they do like Chris Middleton is a good player he is not this Chris Middleton without Giannis Antetokounmpo I'm not saying that Jason Tatum is Giannis Antetokounmpo I'm saying he's doing similar things for his teammates that players like Giannis that players like LeBron that players like Harden that players who draw all that attention do for theirs. His teammates got a bunch of easy baskets because he was hanging around and because Memphis was terrified of him tonight, which is what kind of brought that to mind for me. Chris Middleton's string of incredible performances against the Celtics have skewed my brain so badly that I thought you were going to say, I'm not saying he's Chris Middleton. <laughs> and I think let's, let's be clear, Chris Middleton is an all-star, and I think he would be an all-star if he wasn't on Giannis's team. I'm just saying that he wouldn't be this good if he wasn't playing with the best player in the world. I think that Tatum is doing similar things for his teammates. After the game today, we spoke to Kemba and Tatum, and both of them were asked whether they think the team is ready for the playoffs. And I feel like neither of them really could have said no. Like, that's not really yeah. a question that you can, like, answer honestly. But they both said yes. Kemba not only said yes, he said yes because of this game, not because of the last game. So the Celtics kind of struggled against Orlando. It seemed like Kemba felt a lot better about where they are after how they played against Memphis. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious for your thoughts. They obviously have caught a huge break with Ben Simmons being definitely done for the first round, if not done for the whole postseason. We've sort of already established that we think the Celtics are contenders if everybody plays their best and if everybody stays healthy. What will you be looking for? Or yes, what's just on your mind as the playoffs are starting for the Celtics? I think the loss of Simmons, I mean, the Sixers are a good team and like Simmons made their offense objectively worse this year. All the numbers bear it out. That said, I mean, he's such a loss, especially on the defensive end where he can guard the Celtics wings. I do think that they would probably beat the Sixers. Honestly, I, I don't mean this in the talk radio type of way, but I think the biggest thing that I'll be looking for is like, when is Hayward going to have to leave? They're going to miss him. He just does so much for this team. It's weird, like, because after two seasons, he, like, he didn't do much the last two seasons, and that, it's not his fault. Like, all the circumstances in the world worked against him. But now it's, it's strange and, like, that all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know how this team would survive without Gordon Hayward. <laughs> That's kind of the biggest thing that I'm looking at. I think the Celtics look great. I think they look ready to go. I think, like you said, we're seeing all the flashes of, of a team that could contend. And like any other year, it just kind of depends on if your stars show up. 
But so, I mean, I think the biggest like variable thing that I'm looking at is just when are they going to lose probably their steadiest player for three or four games? That's exactly what I was going to say. The timing could not be worse because it's not like it's during the first round. They could be the Simmons-less Sixers without Gordon Hayward. Toronto or the Bucks, whenever this falls, is going to be very difficult with Gordon Hayward, and it's going to be even more challenging without him. And sort of like what we were saying earlier, Romeo Langford isn't going to be a one-for-one, not even close to a one-for-one. He is not. No, absolutely. And, And I think we should clarify, you know, just in case anybody's listening for the first time, that again, Gordon Hayward should go home and be with his kid. Like, he is making 100% the right decision. And neither of us has any criticism of that whatsoever. But yeah, like, it's just going to be, it's going to be really, really hard to beat these really top teams playing at their best without Hayward. You know, this is going to sound like I'm ripping on Toronto and I I promise I am not. I think that the best time that this could happen would be if like they go up one or two O on Toronto. Like that seems like the only time when it wouldn't like really damage them because then, you know, they've got a little bit of like game six. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that might be the best case scenario. And maybe in a scenario like that, they don't overthink it. And maybe, you know, maybe they can steal another game somehow. And like, I don't think that they're like screwed, screwed, but like, it's going to be hard and they might be a little screwed. (laughs) What screws them. And again, Hayward should leave and he should have to quarantine. All the protocols should be followed. Yes. What screws them is that he basically automatically misses two games independent of how long his absence is. Yep. He has to quarantine for the four days coming back. Yep. So that, I think, really hurts. Like, if he just could go in and out, he would probably miss one or two games. So, yeah. like, not saying he shouldn't quarantine. He 1,000% should. But I think that just further complicates the situation. Last thing before we get to our good buddy Chris Grenham and the draft. Nicole, what do you think about who should play, who shouldn't play, what the Celtics should do against the Wizards on Thursday? So there was definitely a contingent of the fan base that was griping about Brad playing the starters this deep into the fourth quarter tonight. And I think he was doing that because he wanted them to just get the full workout or like have like a full day, if that makes sense. And then I think he plans on sitting them versus the Wizards and then going hard in practice maybe one day over the weekend, um, depending on if their game's on Monday or Tuesday. But my guess is that we will see a lot of new faces. Or not new faces, but old friends. Old friends. Uh, Vincent Poirier might be active. Taco Fall might be active. Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters. But yeah, I think Grant will get more time. Do you expect any of the starters to play? So I was batting around the idea of making it like a scrimmage and just playing literally like your normal rotation the first half and then just cutting it off. Because I think the one thing that I would not want to do if I was the Celtics is throw off this rhythm that they've been playing with. Obviously, they played amazing against Toronto. And then even against Orlando, there were times when I thought they looked really clicking. Obviously, tonight there were times when I thought they they were really clicking. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to necessarily throw all that off. And maybe you just say, okay, look, they went out on a good note. They played really well on Tuesday. And now we shut them down and let them, let them rest on Thursday. Like, that, maybe that's what the Celtics say. But, I mean, I would, I would certainly understand that. But, I don't know. I mean, Tuesday to Tuesday would be a long time off for a team that, that is playing really well together right now. So, I don't know. I could see it either way. I mean, I think the safer option is to assume that, like, if you lose the first game of the playoffs, it's not the biggest deal in the world. You can just win the second one and go from there. But I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be stunned either way. This is probably reading way too much into it, but people tried to ask Brad about his plans after the game, and he was like, yep, we have a plan, but he wouldn't say what the plan was. 
I feel like if the plan was to play the starters, he would just say it. But I feel like he's That's not about to say, yeah, no one's playing on Thursday. Like, I feel like he's not about to admit that. That's my take on that. I think, I think that's a strong take. We could probably leave it there. You heard it here first. Nicole Yang breaks the news that all the starters are sitting on Thursday. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be talking to Chris Grenham. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up. On top of all their other discounts, go to DealDash.com and use the offer code GINO or DealDash.fm slash GINO. That's D-E-A-L. D-A-S-H dot F-M slash Gino. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. So the Celtics have had the Grizzlies draft pick, and it could convey this year if it lands outside of the top six. Heading into the bubble, the Grizzlies were the eighth seed, which would mean that the Celtics would get, and they had a better record than the Nets and the Magic, which means that the Celtics were looking at the 17th pick in the 2020 draft. Now, however, there's definitely going to be a playing game for the eighth seed in the Western Conference. If the Grizzlies fall out of the playoffs, the pick could move up to 14. It actually, if they don't make the playoffs, it could be as high as like the top four, depending on how the odds shake out. That being said, the chances of that happening are really unlikely. I think it's like a 2.4% chance that they jump into the top four, which means most likely the pick will convey this year. If it happens to jump up into the top four, that means the Grizzlies will hang on to the pick and the Celtics will then get the Grizzlies unprotected pick in the 2021 draft. We'll see what happens. It definitely seems like the 14th pick is in play. Based on what I've heard from the two of you, it sounds like the jump from 17 to 14 or even 17 to 15 is a lot bigger than like you might think just looking at the numbers. Yeah, this class is bad. It's not a, it's a bad draft class. And if, if you have a, a bad class, those minimal jumps mean much more as compared to a really deep class. So if you can move to that number 14 pick, which seems most likely right now. so. I'm, I mean, it's great. The Celtics are going to get Sadiq Bay. This is a tremendous day. It's like, everything is great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's, I mean, if you just look at the mock drafts or like, you know, anybody's big board, you know, you see guys like Precious Atua at 17, you know, you see like, you Patrick know, maybe Williams. some Patrick Williams, you know, you see like that kind of player could be good players, could be like versatile defenders, could pan out. You want to see like what their work ethic is like and whether they're able to maximize themselves. That being said, I mean, you get to 14, then you start looking at, 
like you said, Sadiq Bey, Aaron Naismith, like guys who can really, really shoot it. You start looking at guys like Tyrese Maxey, who's an interesting guard prospect. There's a notable jump. I think you're just much more likely. I mean, RJ Hampton could slide. Like yeah. the jump is notable. And I'm much more intrigued by whatever player they could get with the number 14 pick. And I also think, honestly, like if they wanted to move up a little bit higher, I think that might be worthwhile. I'm not often a proponent of moving up in the draft. I think generally like, you know, of like packaging picks at least to try to move up in the draft. Because I think generally like more bites at the apple is probably better than trying to move up and get somebody kind of in the mid lottery as opposed to the late lottery. But in this instance, I actually kind of think the opposite. If the pick conveys, which we assume it will, because the Celtics don't have another lottery pick in the near future, I kind of feel like maximizing this one might make some sense as opposed to kind of like taking a bunch of late in the first round of kind of a crappy draft anyway. And if you could tell a team at like 10, for example, you know, maybe like 10, 11, if you told some lottery team, hey, we can give you pick number 14, still a lottery pick, only a few spots down, as well as two more first round picks or whatever you might be able to, to offer up to move up a little bit. I mean, I think there's something there, like maybe, because if you get into that 10 range, Maybe Obi Toppin slips a little bit. You know, maybe like guys who are actually kind of intriguing. You know, maybe maybe you hear something about like Pokasevsky going a little bit earlier and you like him. Maybe you take a shot on something like that. I think that there's a lot of options that are kind of opened up by having the 14th pick. Even just kind of the optics of being able to tell another lottery team, hey, we'll give you another lottery pick. Even if it's just like 14 versus 15, I think being able to sell, oh, it's another lottery pick to their fans actually kind of matters in a dumb way so I think this really matters you're spot on with that because the again the value of those higher picks means so much more in a class that has zero depth whatsoever so yes it's nice to have a higher pick because you have a higher pick but also the trade value in a class like this becomes you know extremely important if you're trying to I don't know move up to seven or eight you're talking to the Bulls it's much more appealing for the Bulls to take the 14th pick and maybe another first rounder as opposed to the 16th pick. Or one of your promising young guys. Or one of your – right, exactly. So that becomes a much higher possibility that if you do have a target who, you know, say after pick four or five, they're starting to slip, that makes it much more easier to move up. And you're right. When you jump into that top 10 range, the possible slippage is much more appealing than it is at the back end of the lottery. This class has a lot of good – role players who were confident they're going to be quality role players and that might be a better pick than taking a flyer on you know someone with a higher ceiling like a James Wiseman or an Anthony Edwards I mean granted those are high-end high-end players in this class but still I think if you get a guy Isaac Okoro slides down to the back of the top 10 Tyrese Halliburton like there's a lot of guys there who could really help the Celtics in a lot of ways and if that starts to happen moving up with that 14th pick in your arsenal is significantly easier. So yeah, I I think that's a major, major thing to look at if you're watching this from a, from a Celtics perspective. So let's say the Celtics move up. This is like wild speculation, but you know, whatever. Let's say the Celtics actually did move up, like, like go to number 10. Who do you think would be the most intriguing prospect for the Celtics to start slipping into that range? Because, like, I mean, you know, I said Obi Toppin before. I kind of think that some team is going to talk themselves into him at, like, 5'6". Like, I don't think he's going to slip. But, like, who do you think is a player who, who might slip, who might intrigue the Celtics? Well, I think there might be a couple teams in the top five who are going to go against our theory of the role players and the, the lower yeah. ceilings, and they might try yeah. and take a flyer on someone. 
in my opinion, you would be looking at guys like Okoro or Halliburton, guys who, yeah, they have lower ceilings than some of these other prospects, but I think they're going to be much better in a plug-and-play situation. Those are two guys who I really, I would really like their fit in Boston. They have well, well-rounded games. I mean, in my notes, I have Isaac Okoro as like a top four, top three guy, just because he's a really, really smart defender. He's a great team defender, which is not a common trait that you have in a lot of drafts. Like team defense isn't a, isn't a college basketball quality, really. Guys kind of right. make, their, make their bread off of their, off their athleticism on defense, and that's just kind of the way it's always been. So that's not a knock on guys. It's just how it is. You get a guy like Okoro who's already a really good team defender. He's versatile. He's strong. He's smart as hell. You could plug him in right away. Halliburton's kind of the same way. He's more well-rounded. You mentioned Obi Toppin. Like, I like Toppin's fit for Boston, but I like Halliburton's well-rounded game because I don't really like – I like Toppin's offensive skill set. I'm legitimately concerned about his defense. For so sure. I think if the Celtics were to trade up and they're looking for someone to fall back, it would be one of those guys – like Halliburton, like Okoro, who has a lower ceiling than others. Because again, the Celtics aren't in a position, I think, compared to some of these other lottery teams where they're saying, we got to really take a flyer right now because we want to track it. Yeah, I like Halliburton for the Celtics for a bunch of reasons. I think most notably because Brad likes players like him who can do a lot of different things. And the thing about Halliburton, he kind of reminds me of like Evan Turner, if Evan Turner could shoot. Um, and And that's a good player. The other guy, I think Devin Vassell, I kind of have a feeling that he's going to end up going like a lot higher than people I think. I think so, too. He's, I love Devin Vassell. He's awesome. Yeah. And, but when you look at his fit with the Celtics and how good he would be, like just having that, that floor spacing, that high-level, high, high-level, high you know, wing defense – switching I mean he can guard point guards he can he's gonna be able to guard a lot he's gonna be I think he's gonna be a really solid he's gonna be really good when when you look at Celtics Twitter's complaints about the Celtics depth right now Vassell brings everything to the table that they're looking for he would be absolutely perfect also real quick I like the Evan Turner comparison with Halliburton he's not a guy who has like a ton of burst he's not gonna blow you away offensively but yep if he's coming to a team like the Celtics that's okay you know he's a creative passer he has good court vision he's got a good handle those are all things good that the size. Celtics can use. He's got good size. He's strong. So you don't need that crazy burst. You're not really looking for that. Vassell is – Vassell is the one guy who could compete with Sadiq Bey for my first-round crush. My God. Well, he's just – I mean, like you said, he's just perfect for the Celtics. If I were the Celtics trying to trade up, Vassell would be the guy that I'm like, you know, that if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm going Justice Winslow crazy for, you know, trying to get up into the uh, middle <laughs> of the first round. You know, just a guess, but he's, he is the perfect fit. I'm curious, too, though, if they do end up at that, like, 14 slot. At that point, I, I've i been a Cole Anthony guy. Um, yeah. I like Cole Anthony still. Yeah. I think he's a solid player. And I do think that the Celtics like guys who were good in high school, who struggled a little bit in college. Like, it just – not only does that bear itself out in their actual picks, but it yeah. makes some sense just from a draft perspective to look at those guys because – you had four years in high school of them dominating for a reason. Mm-hmm. Presumably those guys played one year in college and like if they struggled, you know, there, there might be some concerns. But I would also say that like some of those concerns probably had something to do with fit. They might have had something to do with the system, like whatever it might be. And you want to talk about like the perfect guy for that. That's Cole Anthony. That UNC team was terrible. Everybody on that team was awful. He did not have a great season, but I still believe in his shot. I, I think he's going to be a solid athlete. I think he's going to be a good scorer. You plug that guy in off the bench, and all of a sudden, I think you have like a burst, you know, a burst of scoring guy who isn't five foot eleven. 
100%. I totally agree. I think he's not going to be drawing a lot of Celtics, you know, attachments in the pre-draft articles and that sort of thing, just because he's not the picture perfect fit. But like you said, if they're looking for that offensive punch, he can score with anyone in this, in, in this class, especially at the, at the far, you know, top end of this class. His team was terrible, like you said, at UNC. There were so many bad players on that team. If they weren't bad, they got hurt. It was just a really bad situation. So you go to his high school, he's a dominant scorer, and he's got so much perimeter upside. He's got so much confidence along the perimeter and off the dribble. He's super athletic. If you're going to say, you know, the Celtics should take a, a flyer of sorts around that spot, Cole Anthony is, in my opinion, on the safer side of that flyer because that's a situation where I think he would thrive in as opposed to if Chicago takes him in the top 10 yeah. because then he's going to be forced to play some major minutes right away, and that's just a crappy situation. He comes to Boston. He has some time to develop. He can play less minutes, but when he's asked to come in and contribute off the bench, he's going to do and be asked to do what he does best, which is score the basketball. The Celtics, as everyone knows, they need that out of their depth chart. And Cole Anthony would be an interesting would be an interesting pick. You know, it's different because I see that 14th pick and I go right to those three and D guys who are plug and play, which is a little more boring than Cole Anthony, but. Cole Anthony would bring more scoring than someone like Sadiq Bey. He can create his own shot much better than a lot of prospects around that 14th pick. So I like that. I, I think that's an interesting take, and I, I think that's something that they would definitely be willing to take a flyer on, even though it's not really a flyer. So I'm fascinated, too. I think one thing that the Celtics have really prioritized over the last few years in the draft is – you know, guys who, who have versatility, you know, you look yeah. at Romeo Langford, he's a guy who, who can, you know, get to the basket, who can, who can do all these things. Brad loves his feel for the game. He's played much better defense than I think anybody who watched him before this year saw coming. I think that this year it would be smart to really target some scoring, some shooting. Um, I know that's not like how the Celtics have drafted before, but they have enough versatility. The Celtics are insanely versatile. Right. They need to space the floor a little bit. Yeah. I, would go, I, would, I would really try to focus on trying to get a shooter. Wherever they end up, if they move up, I would target Devin Vassell. If they don't move up, I would maybe target a Sadiq Bey or, or a Cole Anthony. It just They've got to get some shooting in there. If you wanted to go with that shooting, but also a little bit of versatility defensively, like Aaron Nesmith is a great, great pick in my opinion. I think he could defend multiple spots at a high level and it doesn't get much more knocked down as a shooter than him in this class. I mean, he would be great. So there's a chance that someone would grab him at 12 or 13, similar to someone like Sadiq Bey. Again, we're on the same page and saying Vassell is probably going to go higher, but out of that pack of because I kind of package those three guys together yeah. yeah they're solid three and D guys they're reliable shooters they're smart players they can defend multiple spots I think they're just a little further along in their development than a lot of guys in this class and I think the Celtics could really use any of those three but a guy like Naismith is probably the, the best shooter I would think it's a little bit of a smaller sample size than some of the other guys you know I think he would be great because he would bring the shooting similar to Vassell with the defensive versatility well, he's such an interesting player, too, because, like, I mean, they're all shooters, but they're all yeah. kind of a little bit different. Uh, Vistel's got a little bit more creation, yeah. um, whereas Naismith, you know, he doesn't have as much creation, but he plays, like, kind of like a really burly J.J. Reddick, where he's yeah, just, like, running good, all yeah, over I the like floor. That. Yeah, yeah. Because he's – and, I mean, obviously, you know, you hate to 
Like, J.J. Reddick's one of the best shooters in the league. He's amazing. But, you know, on the other hand, Aaron Naismith shot 50%. Yeah, 52%. Three, so like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's, yeah. On, like, eight attempts a game. Yeah, right. so it's not that crazy. But that's how he plays, like, that running through screens. Like, he can yep. shoot a little bit on the move. Like, mm-hmm. he's such a good shooter, man. He's I, such I, a I good love, shooter. He's such a good I love shooter. You're, you're right, though. The, the only concern is that the shot creation isn't completely there yet as much as it is with some of the other guys. But, again, he's, he's had a smaller sample size in college. I think he'd be able to develop that over time. I would hope. Yeah, and I think when you look at him as a role player, the shot creation doesn't matter that much. It's not necessary, yeah. They have so much shot creation on this team. I I assume Gordon Hayward is going to opt back in, given everything that's going on. Like, I think they'll be fine for shot creation. Because shot creation isn't just being able to dribble into your spot. Shot creation is also, like, being able to find holes in the defense. Right. And when you watch Naismith, I mean, he's drifting all over the floor. Like, he's, he's, like, finding the little, like – the little crevices where like his defender is turned the other way for a second. And he just kind of is like, okay, I'm going to scoot over here. You know, I'm uncovered now or, or he can run like floppy actions. Like he can do all that stuff. Totally. And so I, I think defensively, I, uh, he's a lot more limited than Vassell. And I, I would, I would say Bay, I think both Vassell and Bay are better defenders than yeah. Naismith. But like the fact that he can, you know, do all this, all this running, all this curling, all this, you know, coming off screens and shooting. Like I, I think on the Celtics, that type of player would be able to get minutes real fast because he would just open up a lot. 100%. And say they stick at that 14 spot. Where do you stand with some of the big men in that area? I know you're not big on Precious Achua. What about guys like Patrick Williams and stuff? Where do you stand there? Because there's always a chance they go that route, which would, I mean, I think kill both of us, but there's a chance they do go that route at 14. I get the appeal of Patrick Williams. I I just think if you're going to draft Grant and then Patrick Williams in consecutive drafts, you're kind of giving up on Grant. And I, I don't think the Celtics are ready to do that. Like, I think he's going to be a good player. So I wouldn't go with the big. I'm also really low on all the bigs in this class. Yeah, I, like, I'm not, really not like going to sit here and stand for Isaiah Stewart. I think he's a great college player, but I just I – don't, I don't see much upside at the pro level. And I think, yeah. the, I think the one big who I do kind of like is Toppin, like I mentioned before, because I yeah. do think that, like, you know, offensively he's so good. And I think that he gives enough effort that you feel like there's a chance that he does something at the NBA level, that he's not like a complete minus. Could be wrong. 100% could be wrong. But obviously, he's got the vertical tools, side to side, not so much. He do- but he does have the vertical tools. He can really jump. I mean, if he gives effort, if he tries at the NBA level, I could kind of see it. Yeah. Carey's the only other guy that kind of is a – I'm kind question. of intrigued by Carey. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> he, is, he is really talented offensively. And a lot, of, a lot of his traits would carry over to the pro game. He is – like really bad on defense is pro defense probably is going to be extremely concerning when he gets drafted ultimately, but he's a reliable interior scorer. He's reliable on the glass. I'm not saying at 14, but I'm with one of those later first round picks. Like he's a big guy who I'm all in for a team like the Celtics to take a flyer on. I think that'd be worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, he's very Ennis Cantory where he's yeah, like, exactly. he's going to give you offense. He's going to give you rebounding. And, you know, he can give you a little bit of floor spacing. Like, I think he's going to be yeah. able to shoot at the next level. So Yeah, he's pretty yeah. mobile for his size. He's like 6'10", but he's – his Why footwork... isn't he a better defender? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not better. really sure because his footwork is actually pretty good. And he moves along yeah. the perimeter relatively well. Like, I, I'm not sure where it was lost, but it was certainly lost. Nicole, how, uh, how are things going over there? <laughs> Nicole's just laying in bed texting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the Celtics are more incentivized to trade the pick because they kept all their picks last year? Like they drafted four rookies and they're extremely young. Like I find it hard to believe that they're going to bring on like three more rookies. 
I would be shocked if they kept all three. But on the other side, I also think that teams aren't going to be as incentivized to take on more picks in this draft class because the draft class stinks. So it's going to be tougher for the Celtics to try and say, hey, we'll give you two of these picks. That might be uh, a little bit tougher, which could cause some problems. I think that one thing that is not going to be super popular among Celtics fans, but I think that there's a chance that it, it ends up being a, a Romeo or a Grant because those yeah. guys have actually shown like some flashes at the NBA level. You know, maybe you can move one of them along with your, your 14th pick to go up. That's the problem with trading up is like, like trading in general, you're going to have to give up something good to get anything valuable. So like, I don't think that the 26th pick and the 30th pick in the draft have as much value as a Romeo or as a Grant. Like, they're just – those guys have actually shown something. I think that there is going to be incentive to move up. But, like, the problem is, like, I don't know how much you're going to move up with just exclusively your picks. Yeah. Celtics have tried that before, and it doesn't work. Teams don't want to bring on that many rookies. The, the reason the Celtics would try to package them is because they don't want to have too many rookies. Totally agree. All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. As always, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate anybody who's left us a rating or review. Big thanks to Chris Grenham for coming on, and we will talk to you all again on Thursday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.